0: Hello Christchurch London. How are we doing today? A very happy Easter to all of you. For those whom I haven't met before, my name is Natalie and I am one of the leaders here at Christchurch London. I have the great privilege of looking after both the youth and the worship team. Now they say in Hollywood that you should never work with children or animals and yet, somehow, I've ended up working with both. And if that doesn't make sense to you, then you have never seen the worship team on a Sunday morning without any coffee before. Some of you might know that I used to work as a lawyer before joining the staff team. I've gone from drafting witness statements and attending court cases to learning the latest TikTok dance challenges and decorating gingerbread men in the middle of March. It's a tough job, but someone's got to do it. Anyway, allow me to kick us off by reading our passage for today, taken from John 20, 11 to 18. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus'. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, rabboni which means teacher. Jesus said, Unfortunately, Covid is still around, but with the restrictions eased, I have been enjoying my previous pastimes, such as going to the cinema. The biggest film to come out so far this year was The Batman. Have you seen it yet? I have actually seen it in the cinema twice now, which may or may not be because it stars my celeb crush, Robert Pattinson. If you know the story, you will know that Batman is the alter ego of Bruce Wayne, a billionaire who witnesses his parents' murder by criminals as a child. As an adult, he becomes a vigilante of Gotham City, fighting all the bad guys he can find. There have been many Batman films over the years. I consider myself a firm member of the Dark Knight generation. But this depiction features a younger Batman, just starting out on his crime-fighting journey. However, throughout the film, he is still deeply haunted by the loss of his parents. No matter how many bad guys he puts away, he cannot overcome the greatest villain of all, the villain of death. Now, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at our series of Jesus the King as recorded in the Gospel accounts of his life, Jesus demonstrates his power and authority as the Son of God and promised Messiah through his miraculous signs and wonders, healing ministry, challenging teaching and declaring the forgiveness of sins. However, at the start of our passage, it looks as though Jesus is also powerless to the villain of death. Only a couple of days before, his disciples witnessed him being mocked, tortured and crucified. Now he lay in a tomb whilst they hid, fearing that they might be next. How could Jesus really be the Christ if he is no match for the world's greatest evil? Death. It's difficult to talk about for obvious reasons, but also something that we're all guaranteed to experience at some point in life. The grief of saying goodbye to a loved one, the bitterness of lives lost in war, poverty or injustice, or when our own time on earth comes to an end. At our core, we detest death and long for its curse to be broken. Some of you might have heard of Haley Maggie Smith, a young woman from Northamptonshire who attracted media attention after seeing the doctor for muscle pain and being informed that she had terminal cancer at 29 years old. She had been living with a tumour for 16 months prior to her diagnosis. She raised awareness about her condition and the importance of early diagnosis before tragically passing away in July last year. Yes, death is truly a painful and sorrowful thing. Before I continue, I want to assure anyone who might be going through a season of grief or loss that as a church, we recognise how hard this process can be and wish to provide support to anyone who needs it. If you would like some support, please speak to one of the leaders, or anyone on the welcome team at your service, who can provide more information on our pastoral care team, and how they can help. But I do believe that the story of Jesus' death, and, spoiler alert, resurrection, is the ultimate answer to death's curse. But before we get there, let us consider how mankind can often try and deal with death themselves. Now I'm sure we're all familiar with the fight or flight response. It's the way our bodies and minds respond to danger or life-threatening situations. For example, when Natalie is faced with a tricky set puzzle, Natalie will not back down until she's able to complete it or until she runs out of attempts. However, if Natalie is walking home one night and a fox stops her in her tracks, Natalie is running for her life. Now, when it comes to death, I think the world can often have a fight or flight response too. So then how do we attempt to fight death? Well, the truth is we don't really fight it, but we try to do our best to convince ourselves that we've got the power to do so. It's something we've been doing since the Garden of Eden, right? Eve is deceived by the serpent into eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, believing that she'll be as wise as God if she does so. She shares it with Adam, but soon they realise they're naked and attempt to clothe themselves. But when God calls out to Adam, Adam doesn't come out and say, All right, God, I guess we're as wise as each other now. No, he hides. Knowing good and evil only makes Adam and Eve more aware of how unlike God they really are. He is holy and perfect and they are not. They literally just proved that by disobeying God's command moments before. And so since then, that is what we continue to do. We deceive ourselves into believing that we don't need a higher power, that we are our own God, all the time suppressing the truth. That we are simply mortal. Enter the YOLO generation. YOLO, meaning you only live once, is way more than an acronym. It's the idea that if we only have one life to live, we should make the most of it as much as possible. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that this idea is completely wrong. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus said that he came that we may have life to the full. And I believe that that is true for now just as much as it is true eternally. However, the YOLO generation aren't looking for a full life in God because they are their own God. They seek fulfillment in everything else under the sun. In pleasure, in success and in distraction. Surely if you can just feast on everything the world has to offer and do everything your heart desires... You can convince yourself that you have the upper hand against horrible things like death. But once again, we are deceiving ourselves, because that doesn't change our fate at all. A book in the Bible that speaks about these things is Ecclesiastes. I studied this book with my connect group during the first COVID lockdown. Yes, what better way to stay positive during that time than to study a book about life being meaningless However, I am struck by these verses in chapter 9, reading from the New International Reader's Version. Everyone will die someday. Death comes to godly and sinful people alike. It comes to good and bad people alike. It comes to clean and unclean people alike. Those who offer sacrifices and those who don't offer them also die. A good person dies, and so does a sinner. Those who make promises die. So do those who are afraid to make them. Here's what is bad about everything that happens on this earth. Death catches up with all of us. Also, the hearts of people are full of evil. They live in foolish pleasure. After that, they join those who have already died. Simply living what you believe to be your best life will not make you the great hero against death. All it does at best is allow you to live in somewhat blissful ignorance until you're faced with its reality and the cracks start to appear. The illusion begins to break. I confess that I do have a bad habit of falling into YouTube rabbit holes from time to time. I'll be searching for how to change a bike tyre and end up watching Life Hacks for 30 minutes. However, one YouTube trend that I find fun to watch is before and after edits of green screenshots in movies. It's hilarious to think that a scene from Jurassic World where Chris Pratt takes on two raptors is just two people in morph suits with dinosaur heads on. But it's also a good analogy of what our lives look like in this illusion of foolish pleasure, described in Ecclesiastes. On the outside, we are winning But inside we know that we are still powerless. And I guess that's the other way of facing death. The flight response. We can simply live in defeat of death altogether. That is where we find Mary in our passage. When she looks into the tomb, she sees it empty except for two angels sitting in the place where Jesus' body was. Usually when angels appear in the Bible, it means that something major is happening or about to happen. But Mary doesn't pick up on this at all. Instead, she cries because she doesn't know where Jesus' body is. Even when she turns around and sees Jesus, now risen from the dead, she doesn't recognise him. She thinks that he's the gardener. She is so overwhelmed by her grief that she cannot see the miracle in front of her at all. I remember a weekend when I stayed with a Christian friend from university. It was the Easter weekend and we were with her church, inviting people in the local shopping centre to church on Sunday. I approached a woman with her daughter and invited her to the service. However, she declined and said that she was no longer interested in church. When I asked her why, she explained that her mother, who had been an average churchgoer, passed away several years ago. The woman was very close to her mother and her death had totally broken her. As such, she would not accept that God could love the world but allow her mother, who loved God, to die. I felt so much compassion for this woman and greatly appreciated her honesty in that moment. As I said earlier, Jesus said that he came to give us life to the full, but that isn't the entire verse. Before this, he warns us that the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. That's what the thief of death does. It can steal us of hope, kill our joy and destroy our peace. When we believe there is no other way out, we end up living lives filled with anxiety and fear. But here is the good news. There is a third way and it lies in the third day. As Jesus calls Mary by her name, she finally recognises Jesus in front of her and clings to him. She now sees that Jesus has done the impossible, something that only the Son of God can do. He has risen from the dead. Now, I appreciate that some of you listening Might be exploring faith for the first time and won't just take my word for it when I say that Jesus rose from the dead and is alive in heaven with God the Father today. However, can you really be sure that the resurrection didn't happen? Have you considered the evidence? Evidence matters to me, of course. I used to be a lawyer. No case can stand unless it has evidence to back it up, and the resurrection of Jesus has evidence. Unfortunately, to go through it all in detail would require another talk. But let us look briefly at the key points of evidence using the acronym FATE. Firstly, Fatal Torment. There are some theories that suggest that Jesus didn't die, but instead fainted and regained consciousness later on. Some faiths even claim that Jesus wasn't actually crucified at all. However, that doesn't match up with both biblical and extra-biblical accounts that confirm that Jesus really did die. Furthermore, the Romans were very thorough in their execution methods, making sure that their victims would never survive. Next, the empty tomb. The Pharisees ensured that Jesus' tomb was sealed with a boulder and guarded by Roman soldiers to ensure that no one could come and steal the body and then claim Jesus had risen. However, both the female followers of Jesus and some of his disciples witnessed the empty tomb and a body was never recovered. Next, the appearances of Christ. Jesus appeared to over 500 people after his resurrection, including sceptics like Thomas who only went on to believe after he saw Jesus and touched his wounds. Consider Mary Magdalene, who was reportedly the first person to see Jesus alive. Anyone from the first century who was trying to write a convincing story would never provide a woman as the first witness. Female testimony was inadmissible in Jewish law and barely so in Roman law. This makes it way more likely that the story being told is exactly as it happened. Finally, the testimony of the disciples. The same disciples that were previously in hiding went on to testify to Jesus' resurrection to thousands of people. Peter, who previously denied Jesus three times after his arrest, was beaten, imprisoned and eventually crucified himself, all because he would not deny that Jesus rose from the dead. It is ridiculous to think that someone would give their life in that way for a story that just isn't true. I invite you all to go away, google everything and consider the case before you. Come back and ask questions. Consider signing up to one of our alpha courses where you can discuss these things and more. My point in all of this is that we as Christians have a living hope in Jesus, that he has defeated the villain of death once and for all. This hope isn't an illusion either. It's not some fairy tale story that Christians choose to believe in to make themselves feel better about the prospect of dying or to justify their way of life. No, it's a hope based on the certainty that Jesus was crucified, buried and rose again three days later. Our faith is grounded in this truth. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. And if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who are falling asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all most people to be pitied. Paul is very blunt here. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then our hope in him is pointless and people should feel sorry for us. But they don't need to feel sorry for us because it really happened. We do not worship a martyr. We worship a risen king. Death is defeated and the king is alive. So what is the takeaway from all this? Well, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, does this story still excite you? Do you live your life based on the certain hope that Jesus rose from the dead? We so often downplay the resurrection story because we become so used to hearing it. But it's such a miraculous work of God and it's all for our freedom. And have you been keeping this amazing gift to yourself? When Mary clung to Jesus, he urged her to go and tell the disciples. Who can you tell the good news to today? And if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, are you willing from today to examine the evidence? What do you really have to lose by looking into this further? Physical death in this life is guaranteed, but eternal life in Jesus Christ is also guaranteed for everyone who chooses to believe in him.